Bondzilla presents King Kong. Each week we dive into the world of King Kong. This week it's back to the golden age of Hollywood with the 1933 original, The First King Kong. everybody it's time once again for another episode of bondzilla presents i'm nick i'm will sorry (laughs) (laughs) all right behind the scenes on this one nick and i just start just had a a a a I just ranted to nick about last time we did this i was in an extraordinarily uncomfortable chair and then i was about to do it again and i just i knew i couldn't because last time I did it in the chair, the podcast and other things, once I did the podcast, this podcast in the chair, it destroyed my back. It was extraordinarily uncomfortable. And I have a work desk for my at-home work. So I'm like, well, let me just move that in here. So I'm extraordinarily comfortable. And that's where the delay came from. And, and, and well, that's, on, that's on me. Well, now okay. you get what my whole, again, my whole purpose in life is to find comfort. So now you know where I'm coming from. This once you get that comfort, it's just hard to kind of, you know, you gotta wake yourself up. Yeah, pain like un- discomfort though. One of the one of the uh, one of the reasons to advocate for it though is like then when you get comfortable, you appreciate it even more. Because like now I'm sitting back and my my lower back is like so. That's every hero's like retort to a villain that wants to get. That's every Final Fantasy protagonist's retort to the final fantasy villain that's like i'm gonna end all suffering by murdering everyone aka final fantasy 10 that's true i mean it isn't that like the that's the that's the new villain thing where it's like this is this is actually for mankind's good and like you know it's like i'm i'm, I'm doing i'm doing the thing yeah i think uh- I think I associate with Final Fantasy because like I haven't played those games, but I've like seen reviews and watched like you know the old school like back in the the heyday of like you know like the Spoonie and Nostalgia Critic and all that sort of stuff back in like 2008 or whatever when they were all reviewing stuff. And it's just like I think technically like seven Final Fantasy seven, eight, ten, and thirteen all have some sort of variation of the villain being like I'm doing this to like get rid of all suffering and then they're like no but suffering is part of the experience of life that sort of thing yeah yeah the other thing that actually since we're talking about the villain thing that reminded me of and it's actually um bonzilla related in that it isn't a godzilla movie is that i was having this conversation with a couple uh friends about the whole uh like you, you know the whole villain plot where it's like hu- humanity's the disease man mm-hmm. and like you know and and we're just cleansing the 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 earth like you know that kind of thing yeah and and i was saying like 
and you know a lot of people especially in the last year like to kind of like make that point and you know we you know we understand all like where it comes from you know with the you know man and nature and you know the climate and, and stuff like that but like one of the things about it where it's kind of annoying first of all i would be happy if i don't hear that as a motivation in a movie for a while mm-hmm. and it's and it's in quite a bit of movies that i like yeah like it, like it's in kingsman it's in age of ultron which you know that you know both you and i are fans of obviously it's in king of the monsters so it's like it's in a it's in quite a few movies that i like but i'd be okay if i never heard that as a as a motivation right it's like a a while you and i were also i mean this is similar to you and i talking off camera of like you know the whole let's like reveal the villain very late into this movie or show like you know if we can kind of like take a break from that trope too you know as much as frozen was successful you know we can kind of get away from that too but oh oh yeah yeah i that that's my that's my new pet peeve like villain twists again it's like i think it's always the same Mm -hmm. though where it's like i I mentioned this to you and i think this also extends to i think there are other circumstances with the humanities disease things but i think it's one of those things where it definitely still works in certain contexts but it's also because it's been used poorly and also overused at the same time that even the good ones you're just kind of tired of so like even like the good examples like well it's like you just use it a lot the, the, like so like what's funny but why i really brought it up because there's a lot of people who unironically in real life like to use that like yeah man like if it wasn't just for for humans like our problems would be solved you know like there's like people who unironically say that in real life yeah and, and like the thing is like but at the same time while i say like i don't need to hear it in a movie again by the way, how cool do I look? Like just leaning back, recording this. People yeah. can't see. The people can't see it. This is like a whole new me, man. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm happy. I'm, I'm so I, much more comfortable. I want you to be happy, dude. I've been sitting in that chair since I've been at this place. Every time on this on the on my on my desktop, I've been in that chair. Anyway, okay. So it's been months of. I I feel like I'm in new skin. Yeah, you know who? Uh, I better hope that chair doesn't listen to this episode. Yeah, it's like it's gonna stand over me. It's in it's, it is in my my room. But no, but what I was gonna say is like, so when people like say it unironically, they're like, you know, humanity's the disease and, and, and whatnot, and it, like people are just getting in the way. I'm like, yeah, but the reason that's a good movie, like villain motivation because it's like a nonsense argument yeah (laughs) like it's a ridiculous child's argument of like how the world works because you know what that is it's like well like we only have problems because humans are around and it's like yeah but that's like saying like well fire only burns you because it's hot like there like there's no like okay like all right i guess the problem is humans are around but there's like it's like a non-starter it's really only something that like people say to sound cool at dinner parties when they're talking about the world (laughs) like that's why it's such a good like villain motivation because it's like patently ridiculous i mean if you're if you're engaging in that you have to consider that you have the same point the exact same point of view as poison ivy and batman and robin and at that point, you just got to you got to take a look at yourself. And I, I love, you know, I love Poison Ivy in that movie. It's actually like when I was thinking about it, you know, that scene that she has with Bruce Wayne at the planetarium, like it's an all time classic version of the humanity is the disease trope. 
and then later in the movie when when she's explaining it to mr freeze and then arnold says i get it adam and evil it's classic it's classic but if yeah, you're but at least she was she, a, but she's a plant lady so it makes and sense and she's a she's a psychopath like anybody yeah. who has that version but if you're just some if you're just some latte liberal at like the <laughs> at like the, at like a dinner party you're not cool like you're not it's it's such like uh it, it bugs me to no end leave it to the evil robots and the in the plant ladies yeah. to say stuff like that anyway bonzilla presents king kong Let, yeah. let's do this oh i guess we there is godzilla and kong related stuff that we should at least mention right yeah. i wanted before we get to that real quick bond fans i love how like la- ladies and gentlemen and all listeners as as you can see the the classic gag of a failed segue continues on to Bogzilla presents. Right. I, I try to do it for all of you, but Nick won't let me do it. No, I, I just a quick mention, mm-hmm. Bond fans, don't forget the Roger Moore episode of the Muppet Show is now available on Disney Plus. All right, we can go on. That's all I wanted to say for that. Really, like yeah. I was like I was keeping it on. No, on I know. Track. Gi- yeah, giant. We have calling in Godzilla news so now. Let's... If you were to say like for the Bond fans. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend like that. That's more of a. <laughs> I'm a, glad you also appreciate that Twitter account. So did, did, did so does that person just tweet that every Friday? Yes, that's amazing. That's all he tweets. Because I saw that, and then like a week later, my girlfriend saw it, and then I noticed it was like posted that day, and I was like, D- "Is this person just posting this every weekend? This this person's doing the Lord's work." But anyway. But this actually works out because it's like it's so this is all Kong related stuff. Yes. So the so the big thing that we definitely we 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 have to at least talk about for a little bit is the Godzilla versus Kong trailer. Yes. Which I know is like completely it has been quite some time and actually like more little snippets and pieces and merchandising and books and such have like come out and obviously like the worst kept secrets about the movie are kind of out there, but we won't get into it for, yeah, we won't, we won't talk those, about yeah. anything that's there. You know, the movie's still trying to hide and, and there's stuff that's again, is it, is it, is it trying to hide? It's one of those things where they're not true. I mean, they're trying to not be forthcoming about it. Like they're not saying yeah, these yeah. things are happening, but also it doesn't it, take too much to find that information. Like, dude, it, it's, it's a not, it's a it's total not, it's a total uh, Kong Skull Island uh, credits situation where it's just like you're right. They're not overtly showing anything, but I mean, I don't know. I don't care either way if I'm going to be frank. But what I do care about is this movie coming out, which looks awesome in like a month very soon yeah very uh, soon it's it's isn't it's, it funny that it still kind of could not get away without one more delay mm-hmm. and like the delay was like because it was like coming out and then it was like the 25th but then it got like pushed back like five days so it's not like a substantial delay but but even that it's just like funny like even just a little delay like you're still gonna get it yeah no uh i think it's crazy that it is coming out before no time to die which I think is funny too. That it's yeah, just like it's after funny. all the this sort of nonsense of everything moving, uh, but it is like it is still surreal because it's something you know that we've been 
you know, if you can go back to the, the you know, Bonzilla podcast history, it's this is one of those things like we kind of track the kind of progress and the initial delay and then all the the kind of the peaks at the footage and like, oh, like the little bit of art that they show and like, when are we going to see something? And we finally get to see it. It's just it's sort of like that thing where you're like, I can't believe I'm actually like seeing this happen and seeing this, you know, you know actually be actually mm-hmm. exist and you know f- hopefully in a month we will get to see a movie that also actually exists yeah the I, all i remembered was like and we have talked about this on the show that if there was one thing that i think that just at least from the marketing campaign that this movie should do it's sell godzilla versus kong as like a uh, as like a boxing match right like that it's the like boxing pro wrestling type yeah of match. yeah yeah, it's like and in one quarter and like you know the then the rock music like like Godzilla should basically come in like John Cena. Like mm-hmm. I know that's not boxing. I know that's something else. But you you get what I mean. Like big uh arena match type of thing. It's it's yeah. a John Cena versus the Rock situation. Like right. it is like one yeah. is John Cena who, 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 who's who? Who's who? Um I feel like I feel like Cena is Kong in this, right? Like if we're talking about in this universe the Rock is Godzilla. Yes, and Cena is Kong. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Okay, not, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you there. Um, but this, but this trailer basically, I, for me, it scratched that itch. Like you know, oh, like, it totally. I, I, I felt like it, it, that tone of what it would be with the music and just the way that the movie looks. Uh, it, it was spot on. I thought a hundred percent, and I think. And I think you saw that when the trailer came out and the discussion around it. I think it did, it did grab some eyes because of the way that that trailer was put together and really showcasing this is going to be a big old fist fist beam fight. Like it's just going to be crazy, and they're going to be punching each other and jumping on things and destroying buildings. And like, and there was you know there was buzz and it's again always hard to kind of truly judge like what twitter buzz actually means but you know just to kind of see the general discussion around the movie it seemed like the the style of that trailer really grabbed some eyes on it the reaction to this trailer was pretty was pretty impressive mm-hmm. i have to i have to admit like i was not expecting the and again I, I have no way of like actually like quantifying it officially or, or whatnot but the vibe that i got from the reaction to this trailer it just seemed to be off the charts now there's a couple things that you could like you could put that to a little bit of like all right like you know it's been very long it's been quite a it, it's been a while since a movie like this if we're talking about like that's been wide released uh, to everyone and everything with like uh you know the you know with movie theaters being closed and everything like that but what I, what i found like so impressive it, it just felt like it was getting people were seemed to be getting super pumped in a way that i did not expect hopping off of the reaction to king of the monsters and in a way that I didn't even see with King of the Monsters, mm-hmm. with people reacting to it. But they, the, this, I was actually kind of shocked about how people were seemingly on board with this. I, and I think it's, we've talked about this a little bit before that I, I and I, I've definitely said this on the podcast before, but I think that simply the presence of Kong in there 
adds a layer to the attention. It's just obviously like, you know, Godzilla is recognizable, but we've talked about it before, like how truly recognizable are Mothra and Rodan and Ghidorah? Like they're known, but are they recognizable? Where it's like King Kong, and we're going to talk about it today, is one of the indelible images of American cinema. Even now, it just is a movie that you associate with a specific era of Hollywood, with, with specific type of American filmmaking. And it's a very, it's an American monster. Like, that's what it is. And to kind of put that in that Godzilla context, I just think that it grabs, it just grabs attention because people know Kong. Just the basic people know Kong. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, like, it was just, there was a lot of people that I saw who I think had every reason not to be jazzed about because I know that they didn't really care for the last couple movies, frankly. And they seemed to, I mean, once everybody saw that giant ape punch that giant lizard everybody just seems super pumped about it and i honestly think like mate you're right it's just like the fact that it is king kong versus godzilla just resonates with people on a different level than anything that the that the monster verse movies actually have done and i think far. that again like you could make the argument that kong skull island is the most memorable of the the legendary verse movies like it's like that or 2014 but you can kind of make the argument for kong and i think that this trailer also took what worked for kong skull island in kind of making it kind of, it felt cool right like that was the thing like there though that I think there was all that focus on sort of the beautiful haunting nature of those initial King of the Monsters, you know, that Comic-Con King of the Monsters trailer that initially seemingly got all the buzz. But I just think like, you know, kind of the, the hip hop kind of song and just sort of like presenting it like this is cool. This is epic. This is big. I think just, you know, with Kong in there, I just think grabs people's attention. And, and it, it, I think it also helps. I, I actually do think it helps that this is really kind of that first true like major release in this kind of like 2020, 2021 era, like this pandemic era where, you know, like we've had big movies, don't get me wrong. Like we've had kind of sizable Hollywood films get streaming releases and, you know, you know like on HBO Max and, and, and Disney Plus and stuff like that. But this really feels like the first like blockbuster that we've really seen in a while. And I think people are itching to kind of get something like this. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a real bummer about like the you know just the theater situation because yeah. if none of that was going on like i don't know man i think people would have gone out to see this yeah i just didn't think people would be because it was just like the waning interest in the monster verse but it kind of seemed like people would have been really down to 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 see this and you know we'll we'll see where it goes but like just to talk about the movie itself real quick just how cool does it look <laughs> It just looks like, again, it's just like the focus is on like, you know, Godzilla versus Kong and the trailer presents just these little glimpses at like this super, these super great fights. And again, I think that's what I'm excited for because again, you know me, I'm a big Showa era guy. And I think these are definitely looking like kind of these Showa era crazy fights. Like, yeah, it, I it, mean it, that, that it had Showa written all over it. Yeah, like, for sure. It, like it was so impressive like it's just just from like like just the the monster fights and like the tone and the colors and and that's like another thing like i just want to like say is like I, i'm so continuously impressed what they've been able to do with the monster verse where it's just every movie just feels like its own kind of like unique approach to how to do like one of these like big kaiju films mm -hmm. like and and then this movie seems 
no different. And I love that they're not beholden, especially just some of the things that we've heard about the plot as well. And I mean, this isn't a spoiler, but I mean, there's like spaceships in the background of, of this shot, uh, of the, of this trailer, like Kong has an ax that's made out of a Godzilla dorsal fin, like that he's using to like, it looks, it looks crazy. It looks looks awesome. Godzilla Kong does the does the uh like he's taking on those war bats and like swinging them around mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like and at one point if you look in like I think they may actually be going into like the hollow earth or something because if you look in the background of like one shot there's like upside down mountains and I'm like what is this this looks incredible so I I mean obviously it wasn't going to be you know any question for me but I, I'm I, I'm oh, so stoked yeah. I'm I'm, I'm so excited i'm very jazzed to kind of see what this finished product is going to be and and to really kind of delve into sort of you know because it's not that you know this is this really the end of the monster verse but this is kind of what we've been leading up to it's kind of like you know the sort of avengers style type of film right it's a crossover movie so like where does it go and like what is the climax and how does it like fit in with the rest of that you know monster verse that we've had a pleasure of talking about throughout these, this podcast and that we'll continue to talk about throughout this podcast. Yeah. I, I can't wait. And then also in other news, apparently there is a uh, Netflix skull Island show coming out. Yeah. On it, Netflix. It's, a, it's a, it's a, you know, the skull Island show. We've got more news on the uh, Godzilla anime as well with, with big boy Godzilla, big thighs, big butt Godzilla. Um, and I am uh it's it's a good era for for some for some yeah it, it continues to be we got we the the pacific rim a- anime is coming Fi- out finally too. after all finally, this time yeah, yeah. It, it's not a bad time to to be a fan of these giant monster movies because it's like yes like you know you know it's like we're not getting those we don't know what the future of like the traditional big films are, you know, like the, what Toho is doing and what, what legendary will be doing after Kong versus Godzilla. But it, there is still a lot of room for content and a lot of room for these alternate takes, especially with stuff like, you know, HBO max and the streaming services and Netflix and what might happen with that, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, um, it's really fun. And and listen, man, they even got me interested in Ultraman. That Shin Ultraman trailer that came out. Like hey, I'm man. like, I I'm into that. Like I wanna I wanna see that. And yeah, dude, you're right. It's just a good time to like all this stuff, I think. Yeah. So anyway, um speaking of giant things, well, let's go all the way Kong. back to Yeah, Kong going all the so, way back to the beginning. So it's I, I, already from the beginning. I think that this is going to be a very interesting series. Obviously, we're going to be going through the, at this point, the six live-action American-made King Kong films uh, that span from 1933 all the way to Skull Island. And also, I mean, included in this will be our review, eventual review of uh, King Kong versus God, or Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, whatever we want to call it. Like, we'll definitely we'll touch on that too, but. What's going to be interesting about looking at Kong, I think, is really showcasing a length of cinema, not just with Kong, but just how cinema has really changed through Kong. Because, you know, we're going back here. It's original 1933. This is the earliest movie we're going to be looking at in this podcast history. And, you know, previously it was just 
you know, we were looking at the early 50s stuff with Beast of 20,000 Fathoms and, and Godzilla, which are, you know, their own kind of brand of this giant monster film. But to go back to like, you know, 1933 and see how the special effects were here. And then, you know, once we eventually get to those 70s and 80s Kongs and how what special effects they were using and then getting to Peter Jackson's and talking about the motion capture, like you can really kind of track, you know, sort of these the the changes of special effects and what we were doing with special effects over the course of, you know, this franchise, as well as, you know, again, a franchise that has sort of these uh, outlier films, but also as a franchise that has sort of this core story behind it with Kong on the island and, you know, bringing him back and everything like that. It's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting time, I think, to go through these, these stories. Do you have any thoughts on generally Kong before we kind of discuss a little bit about the making of the original film? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because Kong was never a go-to for me, and and it's funny because it's been interesting going through the Godzilla franchise and a lot of the tangentially related movies with that franchise, and really seeing how much of an influence King Kong had on all those films, and it's so funny because... I never, it, this is going to be weird to say, but I never looked at King Kong as a giant monster movie. And I don't know why. And maybe that's because it, maybe it's because to me, the giant monster movie was like Toho and like Japanese, like kaiju films. And like, like the, the Ray Harryhausen type of, uh, like uh like like king kong or beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms were more like the american films just kind of seemed like i don't know they 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 were i guess that they just kind of seemed like american creature features to me but like to me like maybe it's because like in in japan and toho they were a little bit more into like the guys in suits and and in the states we were a little bit more of like the ray harryhausen animation and stuff yeah. so just the whole kind of feeling was was different for me so that that that's been an interesting thing and that's going to be fun to talk about in this episode specifically but for for king kong himself yeah i i was never really like a big king kong person and really i, I mean i kind of always respected king kong as the the icon of like you know of classic golden age hollywood you know what i mean like it was kind of like that that was kind of always like the more of the respect that i had for king kong and, and for, as more of the icon um and it, it took, took quite frankly like all the way until i think we had talked about leading up into skull island i really had only marginal interest i mean i didn't really have all that much interest way back then when they said it was going to be him versus godzilla it was just kind of like all right those are the two one is the american giant monster the other one is like the japanese giant monster it's like there's something to do obviously this was before i was entrenched in the history and the toho godzilla versus king kong and oh like king kong is like an actual like toho type kaiju and then for me um and then obviously i saw the peter jackson one Skull Island is like the thing that turned it all around for me. And, you know, without bearing the lead too much, I'll just, you know, come out and say where I stand. I, I think Skull Island is probably my favorite Kong movie. Um, it just matches like my sensibilities. I like the direction about it and, yeah, and, and everything. Um, but yeah, it, and King Kong is also one of those other things is like, really, what else is there to say about it? 
other than like the story is so ingrained in everybody's mind about what it is mm-hmm. and you know it, it it's made its mark in history um in many ways it is what it is so really what else can you say but that being said what i will say something is that more so than ever i am interested in hopping into the legacy of where it went with the other films yeah which is why things like king kong escapes was so great to watch like i'm less interested in like the classic king kong story and way more interested in the offshoots so that's mm-hmm. kind of that, that's i guess that's where i stand with king kong i, I think it's because I, I, I think it's gonna be different because you know i've even you know through this research i've been doing and just kind of preparing for this i am very interested you know you know, I, I think like it'll be interesting to once you eventually get there to compare like 33 to 2005. I think that'll be a very interesting sort of dynamic in terms of like, you know, looking at those two films as like a remake. But even looking at just like the, the differences in like the 70s Kong is going to be very interested to to showcase. But like what does make King Kong that indelible figure, you know, uh, you know, and what really makes him the icon that he is, especially because there are like, you know, it's not like. It isn't like Star Trek. It isn't like King Kong. Or sorry, it isn't like Godzilla. It isn't like Bond. It isn't like Marvel, where it's like, okay, we had so many movies like right in a row. It's like you know, we have these ones in '33, and then we have to skip to the '70s, '80s, and then all the way to 2005. Like, there's big gaps in there, but the King Kong himself, again, is just an indelible figure uh, of cinema, and like, just you're right, such a big icon of like golden age Hollywood, as we call it, like that that pre-code period. It's so interesting. And I think it's going to be a fascinating look through this history. And and it's just like with the universal ride and and quite frankly, like just like the first, like the way this movie opens up, there is just that like classic Hollywood feel to it. Like if a movie had a tangible feel, I know like that the, the argument for a movie like this is because, Oh, the practical effects makes it tangible. I would kind of argue just the whole presentation makes the history of the film tangible in a, yes. in a certain way. Very like you, much can, so. you, you can taste the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, again, the, uh, quote unquote golden age as it were. All right, the so. glitz and glamour of the motion picture. Like you almost want to call this movie the way it presents itself, a motion picture. Right, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I, there's a very, yeah, you're right. It, it's very much is like, if you were going to, sh- like, it's like, oh, you wanted to find like, you know, again, that 30s period of Hollywood, you know, it, it's funny because I, I think there's some stuff I want to talk about later when we actually talk about the movie itself, but it's going to be very interesting to kind of, talk about this area of filmmaking. And I do want to get into that a little bit with a little bit of background on, on the making of this movie. Um, you know, as we usually do. Uh, so if you're ready, I do have some info for you. I'm sitting right here in my comfortable chair. All right. Get comfy. I am. Okay. I'm good. Very comfy. Yeah. All right. So the, the, le- and, and the thing is also, there's a lot of again because King Kong is like this 30s and this kind of pre-code golden age of Hollywood movie. There's a lot of like you have to parse through sort of the myths about the movie as opposed to like what the actual facts about the movie are. So I'm gonna try to really get you the real gritty story. It's not really that gritty, um, but it starts the gritty, with the, the gritty origin story of uh, well, it King starts Kong with Marion C. Cooper. Okay, and. A little background, Marion C. Cooper was kind of this like accidental renaissance man is kind of, I found out like he 
fought in World War One. He also started this like American led allyship of Poland and the Polish Soviet War right after World War One. He was basically fighting for a long time. Then when he came back after after all this fighting, he um, he started working at a newspaper at the New York Times, which led him to go on these voyages as part of his like reporting duties that he would like write about these voyages, which led to him being involved with filmmaking. That's what, so he went on a voyage with his longtime partner, uh, future longtime partner, Ernest uh, Sosnack, who was also involved with King Kong. And they basically sort of, you know, got together and started doing these voyages and then Cooper later, uh, after his work with the New York Times was finished, he decided to join the American Geographical Society and joined his old buddy Stasenak, um to embark on an expedition through Africa, which kind of accidentally turned into one of the first nature documentaries ever filmed, a film called Glass. Or sorry, Grass, not Glass. Glass? <laughs> not Glass. What's, what's your opinion on Glass? <laughs> That's an inside joke. Dude, you you did you see I just popped up when I saw that my ears burned on that one. So the film is grass and it's considered one of the earliest nature documentaries ever made. Um and basically this was sort of Cooper's introduction to being coming in Hollywood. And so basically what he would do, so this was 1925 now. So we're kind of in this kind of, again, this primordial stage. This is talk, we're talking about 1925. This is like just right when the talkies were happening, right? Like sound was starting to get integrated into film. Like this is sort of the the the, the primordial stage of Hollywood and filmmaking is still a very new art form. So they're making these silent kind of nature documentaries, and now they're doing these kind of pseudo nature documentaries that are like part nature documentary, part fictional film, which also again seems familiar. Um, but it's part nature documentary, start part film. He does another one, Chang, in 1927. And it's during the last one he produced of these, The Four Feathers, um, which was a movie where they shot footage of tribes in the Sudan and a bunch of animals and kind of made a movie out of it. It's basically like then they kind of filmed other stuff. And during his mate his filming of The Four Feathers, he was out there filming gorilla stuff and monkey stuff and baboon stuff for the movie and sort of got a fascination, I would say is the right word, a fascination with gorillas. And just something that was always on his mind was like, he was so interested in gorillas and like, what could he do with gorillas? And like he said, he would dream about gorillas. It was just gorillas were constantly on his mind. Mm -hmm. So after the four seasons, Cooper actually kind of temporarily leaves Hollywood to help join one of the first uh, uh, board of directors for Pan American Airlines. So now he was like, okay, I've done this Hollywood thing for a while. I've done these films. Now I'm going to move on to being this board director at the airplanes. But the, the call, the, this monkey thing was still rattling in his brain. And while he was on the board at Pan Am, he, he had this vision. Suddenly he had this vision of gorillas at war with Komodo dragons. And he just had this image of like doing it like he did with grass and the four feathers where they would just shoot a bunch of gorillas and they would shoot a bunch of Komodo dragons. And then they would like kind of film tricks to put them together and have this giant 
Komodo Dragon and Gorilla War. So he's like very distracted from his duties at the Pan American Airways because he's starting to actually write this script or trying to formulate the script. And eventually he's like, you know what? I'm too entrenched with the Hollywood thing. I'm leaving Pan, Pan American Airways to go back to Hollywood to, to basically pursue his dream, this dream of this monkey versus Komodo dragon movie. Once he kind of gets this idea, he starts, you know, this is kind of, we're in the thirties now, early thirties. And he's trying to kind of pitch this big movie. And so he took this concept of first to Paramount Pictures, but this was right at the beginning of the Great Depression. And the movie studios were trying to avoid any and all travel-based movies. Because <laughs> I was I was gonna say I was just gonna make a bad joke where he's like, it's the Great Depression, but you know it would really cheer people up. Giant like a, a lizard getting beaten up. Uh, so basically, you know, because such a weird like we don't want to remind people that there's other places you can go. Well, no, it's not even that. Well, it's just it was too expensive. They didn't want to spend the oh, money. Oh, I thought it was like a cycle. I thought like the last thing people want to see right now is that people can go wherever you want to go when you're in a depression. <laughs> uh, no, it was basically like, you know, because because still like outside of like stuff like grass and the four feathers, like. This is also at a period, again, early Hollywood, like on location and remote filmmaking, like wasn't common. Like it happened, but, you know, a majority of stuff, you know, I would say like 90% of film stuff was done on the studio lots. Like they would just, they would build these big sets and put the actors in there and shoot stuff. So Paramount was like, you know, Cooper was thinking like, oh, we got to go to get, we got to shoot real monkey, not shoot them. But like, uh, <laughs> right, right. We gotta like, you know, film real monkeys and real Komodo dragons. We gotta go to Africa. We gotta go to these places. And Paramount was like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think we should be spending that money right now. Like, you know, we don't know what what the state of the economy is. Uh, but uh, afterwards, 1931, uh, legendary Hollywood producer David O. Selznick. Uh, likes Cooper as a person and just brings him into RKO. RKO at this point is very much a struggling film studio. They lost a lot of money in 1931 into 1932, got hit really hard by the depression, and they were trying to just pump out some movies so that they could just make them money and stay afloat. So Selznick brings him on as a general producer to help produce a film version of The Most Dangerous Game. Um. And also to just help out with the studio to kind of make sure the studio is making good decisions. And one of the projects that Selznick sort of put Cooper in charge of was this sort of ballooning kind of crisis at the studio, a film known as Creation, uh, which was a passion project of stop motion animator Willis O'Brien. Uh, so that movie was sort of like a bunch of people shipwreck on an island and discover an island of dinosaurs, sort of a, you know, the kind of Jules Verne kind of inspired type of movie. And Cooper screened uh, the O'Brien stop motion footage. They, had made. they started kind of filming some of the stop motion footage with the dragons that, uh, you know, uh, O'Brien was kind of very passionate about. And so they were kind of like doing this and starting to film a little bit of the actors and Cooper, you know, had to look at the dailies 
And Cooper was just sort of unimpressed with sort of the pacing of the film. He felt that there wasn't enough action of what was showing. And it's just like, it didn't seem like the director had a grasp on like making this movie exciting. But the more he watched the O'Brien um, stop motion footage, the more his brain started turning. And he realized, oh shit, I don't have to get real Komodo dragons. I don't have to get real gorillas. This guy can make my giant monster movie, my giant monkey movie happen. Mm -hmm. Like he can just be like, oh, we can just use this and I, I can still do my passionate monkey project, which is basically what it was. It didn't really have kind of a form right now. It was still like, you know, this is like kind of, we're into 1932 here and it's still sort of like, kind of a script kind of an outline just basic sort of random ideas but all all that cooper knows is i want to do a movie about a monkey and the stop motion thing can help me you know what's funny about that story too is like i i believe if i remember correctly that there is a similar story with like when they were making jurassic park where spielberg kind of had a moment like that where i think that's where like a lot of that like early ILM like computer generated imagery stuff like they were kind of like using that for like other things and then I think there were all these moments of like well wait a minute why don't we let's just use that like yeah. le let's let's use this technology or something like that oh because I forget I think they were maybe using it for like animatics or something and then they push like hey let's just let's use this so it is funny how that kind of it's funny, like the technology always, I was watching a Pixar documentary recently and it's just funny that the technology is always like there. And then it just, I guess, takes like a creative to be like, well, let's, let's put it to use. Yeah. So now uh, Cooper is basically formulating a plan and his plan is to outright cancel the creation project and convince Willis O'Brien to join him for a pitch meeting to transfer sort of these dinosaur models and basically pitch to RKO. Okay. Instead of doing this dumb dinosaur movie, let's make a giant movie about a monkey. And this is at the point where the name Kong it's, it's, it's very, this is where we don't really know where the name Kong came from. Um, but th it's around this period that it was likely Cooper who came up with this Kong name and, and truly sort of said, okay, it's about the monkey. The monkey is the main character or like the main focus of the movie. Something happens where the monkey is taken from his island to New York and falls off the Empire State Building. And to aid his pitch, basically took all the actors that were auditioning and working with him on the most, this most dangerous game project that he was initially brought in for. So uh, basically the entire cast, the entire main cast of the most dangerous game come in to this pitch meeting with O'Brien and with Cooper to RKO and Oselznik, David Oselznik, and basically are like, it's kind of like they make a big kind of sort of semi pre, you know, 1930s version of a PowerPoint presentation where it's like, okay, here's the giant monkey movie. Here's some dinosaurs. Here's Frey Ray. Here's Robert Armstrong. Here's Bruce Cabot. All these actors that we have at the lot that we have signed. Let's make a movie out of it. And then basically it was just came down to RKO was like, okay. Like they were, they were already were like, whatever. Sure. Like if this is what you want to do, Cooper, like go ahead, make your, make your weird monkey movie. 
we start getting into the scripting phase of this movie. Um, and this is pretty well documented. I was pretty surprised at like how much information exactly was out there about the scripting process. And a lot of it is like a lot of the movie makes sense once we get there. So Cooper, uh, first off, wanted to get um, the, at the time, best-selling British mystery author uh, Edgar Wallace, who had just transitioned from novels to screenplays and had a, signed an exclusive deal with RKO. And, and Cooper's plan was one of those situations where, oh, we can pretend this is based on one of his books and then we can kind of like release the book and pretend it was written like 1925. Like he had this whole thing where it's like, oh, Edgar Wallace is a big name just to get people to theater. We'll say it's his book and then we'll like make a movie out of it. Um, so the, the Wallace script was extremely different from the finished film. It was called The Beast initially. And it basically was about a big game hunter who was kind of searching for the ultimate game, comes across Kong, decides to bring him back to New York, that sort of thing. So basically a similar plot, except it's more about a hunting expedition instead of the, the, the filmmaking that we get into the movie. Uh, they write that, that script is finished on uh, February, sorry, January 5th, 1932. And uh, Wallace is about to start uh, writing some rewrites, but unfortunately dies on February 10th, 1932. Mm. then Cooper's like, all right, well, I guess we have to have someone else write the movie. Um, so Cooper then called in uh, James Ashmore Creelman, who was also simultaneously trying to work on this most dangerous game script that they were about to film uh, at the studio. And this is another part of it where um, James Ashmore Creelman, uh, Creelman also kind of helps realize that like, oh, you know, the most dangerous game has this big jungle set, you know, that I'm writing for. So why don't we just make sure to make the movie fit that jungle set, right? So whatever we do on the most, whatever we can do in the most dangerous game jungle set, whatever's built there, let's just use that same set for King Kong. Mm-hmm. And basically you're like, all right. And even though Paramount, or sorry, for RKO is already planning to kind of strike those sets. So they need to start getting this film rolling so that they can convince them, hey, keep the sets up a little bit longer. So this is where um, uh, the film aspect of the movie comes in, where the big game hunter is replaced by uh, the film director, and it's more about a filming expedition, very basically similar to what, what uh, Cooper had done originally. There was originally a plot line about the, the villains or sort of the, the people they encounter on the island being a boat of escaped convicts that is eventually dropped as well. Uh, and this point, the film is called The Eighth Wonder, as Kong would be the eighth wonder of the world. And this is also where the beauty and the beast angle of the movie also comes into play, uh, mostly because uh, RKO and Cooper had realized that, you know, animal movies are on the downtrend. So they didn't want to emphasize, the, even though Cooper was like, I, I think the monkey will sell, they didn't also want to like have to market the monkey as the main attraction of the movie. So this is where okay. and it kind of makes the opening of this movie a little funny. Yeah. Then. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so basically, that's where they enter this this female character. They they kind of give her a bigger role to be kind of this this romantic angle, and they can like kind of give her the you know the stuff with the monkey and have her have a romantic lead as as well. Originally, the 
big presentation of Kong was going to take place at Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, which wouldn't be used in a giant monster movie until uh, Godzilla many years later. Yep. Uh-huh. And then then it moved to Yankee Stadium until finally uh, it, it, it changes to that like kind of the Broadway theater. So Creelman has to take, basically drop, you know, he, he writes a script, drops it, you know, to basically they have to finish the most dangerous game because they have to film. They're making a quick movie to film and get it out there. And plus, a lot of that cast is also going to be involved, as we know, with Kong. So, or the Eighth Wonder, as it's known now. So, they basically kind of have to make sure that movie gets finished. And then the next writer is Horace McCoy, and Horace McCoy is credited with adding all of the mythical elements to the movie. It's his idea to fully get rid of any escaped convicts idea and make kind of the antagonist, quote unquote, the the tribesman on the island and to present Kong as this big God type creature. Um, and this is where the giant wall comes into play. Like basically making, making Kong just from a giant monkey to a more mythical figure to, to, to make him larger than life. Creelman came back and said, I hate all this. The mythical elements is all bullshit. The Island stuff, the natives are all bullshit, but, but Cooper had already, the visions was already in his head. Like, Oh, like now not, it wasn't just a giant monkey. It was this giant monkey treated as a God. And just like, it just jazzed him up so much. Like that's the thing about Cooper is just like every single thing was like back to how much he just wanted to see a giant monkey on screen. The biggest contributor to the movie. So most of these writers go uncredited, uh, but the biggest contributor of the movie so at this point uh cooper has brought on his old pal uh sack who he had worked with on grass and all those films and had done work with on the new york times to kind of come in and also kind of help out with this movie and, and sosnick suggests that another pass one last pass of the script be done by his wife so writer ruth rose this was a novel writer who had never written a screenplay but basically takes what all these other writers have done, put it together and basically writes the finished version of the film while also inserting a lot of her personal experiences with everybody involved into the script. So the Carl Dunham character, she inserts a lot of Marion Cooper's mannerisms and his passion and basically him into that. She inserts a lot of herself into you know the female character and her uh husband into the male lead like basically kind of taking all the aspects of the studio that she had kind of witnessed during the kind of production of this movie and and basically inserted them all into the script uh as well as sort of uh basically kind of tightening the script for example there was a long explanation of how they got kong from the island to new york and mm-hmm. she was basically like, you don't need that. Just cut from the <laughs> island to New York. That's all you need. And let's like, just basically say we have chains, we have gas, just get them there. Um, and, and so basically, and she also changes the title from the eighth water to Kong because she said that's a more evocative, just this weird Kong thing. So we've got a finished script now. This is basically 19 April, May, 1932. Um, and Cooper and Sassenach decide and agree to co-direct the movie. Uh, but they're very different filmmakers. Like Cooper, very methodical, very slow pace, wants to make sure every single detail is right. Whereas Sassenach is more like the cl- what you would kind of imagine the classic Hollywood filmmaker to be, which is like quick, 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 couple mm-hmm. takes, that's all you need. So 
they, you know, they kind of, and they kind of worked together on those nature films, but then they were just shooting nature. So basically it was just like, Oh, whatever we shoot, we get. Whereas this was one of the first actual films that they were making together. So then they have this kind of agreement where Sassenach will, will do all the dialogue scenes like on the ship and just then discussing stuff. And Cooper will focus on directing Willis O'Brien's and his team's, their special effects. And I know I've talked about a lot of writing, but really the main thing that this movie is known for, especially in its era, but one of its, its great legacy is its use of special effects. And what it really is, it's like very, they've, it's not like they invented all, like they didn't invent stop motion. They didn't invent like, you know, you know, green screen or, or they didn't invent first perspective, all the stuff that they use for the movie. But one of the things about Kong is to be noticed that this is one of the very first films that really uses and combines all of those uh, into one kind of big package that this was a film that was not very, you know, it was the type of film that wasn't really made that much at that period of time, uh, just in terms of all the amount of special effects work that was put into this movie. Um O'Brien was already well known for his work on special effects and stop motion, especially. And he had built a very great team around him to, to make this type of film work. For example, uh, Marcel Delgado was a Mexican uh, sort of artist slash sculptor who O'Brien had met when uh, Marcel was taking class at uh, art school and basically but uh, pestered him to join his special effects team because he thought Marcel's work in model making and, and, and sculpting was, was incredible and, and some of the best he had ever seen. So Marcel is very credited for really designing the Kong, you know, the, the big model that they use for close-ups and helping design the, the intricate stop motion models that they would use. Uh, there was kind of a, a general like, 18-ish feet, 18 to 20 feet sort of Kong uh, idea that they had. It it does kind of fluctuate throughout the the filmmaking process a little bit. Um, uh, The the big one was nicknamed the Giant Terror Gorilla. (laughs) Um, And it was sort of Delgado's, uh, Delgado's idea, too, that they they based it obviously on real uh, uh, Western lowland gorillas of Africa and the footage that, you know, it was out there, but they made this decision to effectively make him skinnier and streamline the torso because they felt that gorillas were naturally funny because they had, you know, really big torsos and, and lower halves. Mm-hmm. So basically to streamline that. Um, and just basically just a, like, you know, they constructed the giant hands, you know, just the general steel sponge rubber, uh, regular rubber and bare skin, just basically using everything at their effect to, to make it work. Um, and while, you know, Delgado was the man who was kind of making these models and making the stop motion, you know, uh, the like pieces for it, uh, Willis O'Brien and uh, assistant animator Buzz Gibson really did a bulk of the work of the animation stuff. Um, you, you know, stop motion, especially at this period. I mean, it's still painstaking now. It's a very deep and intricate process. And 
if anybody out there has a chance to look at sort of the behind the scenes footage of anything that Leica's made or, or the, the night before Christmas, nightmare before Christmas behind the scenes stuff, you can just know it's a great way to showcase like what the process of stop motion is and how intricate it is. And especially when you're going back to like this very early stage of it, it's super fascinating. Well, one of the things that is so fascinating about stop motion and i was kind of thinking about this while watching this movie is like you know sometimes this is kind of a phrase that's overused but the imperfection is kind of the charm of the early stop motion of these days but the one thing about it though is like you notice some more of the imperfections of stop motion especially the earlier it's used and if this is comments not a criticism of that because that's just is the technology but you know, it is very time consuming and it is a very painstaking form of animation. And but and now it still is. But you also have modern technology that you can do things like you can easily clean up things in post. You have computers and cameras that are able to track movements during your progress a little bit better. So like there's just so many more tools to aid in that. Whereas like, you know, kind of most likely barring like an extraordinary like failure and like making everything work probably what they animated is what you got like because there was no oh let's fix a like a weird frame here or there like yeah there there was just doing none of that so it, it is funny that you know there are tools that helped it along uh even today that they didn't have back then yeah, a lot of people know, and especially also one of the issues with Kong, especially in comparison to like what we would learn about stop motion or, or how to make it easy, is that you know Kong was a furred creature, and they realized very quickly that any time they sort of moved, you could kind of see you know the handprint of like where they had to like grab the arm to move it a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where obviously they tried to like brush it as much as they could, but a lot of times it was still in there. But that's noted, especially by people who love stop motion, as it's like almost a good thing because it just shows you the level of attention and detail that like you had to have, like and the amount of movement you had to make. Um, specifically, you know the the famous film's famous uh, King Kong versus Tyrannosaurus Rex fight, the big the big dinosaur fight, was was a seven week process. It took seven weeks to get that full stop motion effect going. Um, and also to talk about, I talked about how Ruth, uh, writer, um, how she inserted a lot of, you know, the filmmakers into the different characters. And it's noted by people who knew Willis O'Brien that O'Brien inserted a lot of himself into King Kong, which makes sense from an animator's perspective, because a lot of times what animators do, you know, to like, you know, they look at themselves in a mirror or they imagine what they're doing to really make the character feel real. So it really makes sense that, that O'Brien, uh, you know, and he was working on a film that, you know, they had just kind of canceled a passion project of his and creation, this film that he had like helped develop with a couple of other field people at the studio. But he was still extremely passionate about the art of special effects and the art of stop motion. And even though this wasn't necessarily his ideal film, this was something that he was extremely like, well, I'm going to always put my big effort into it. So he tried to make Kong as real as possible. And one of the ways he did that apparently was to insert himself into uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, 
you know, it's like they used matte paintings, which were, you know, kind of a, a newer thing on the scene for, for filmmaking at this time, which is uh, you paint something onto glass and then you shoot the film, you know, shoot the camera through it to make it appear as if like the actors are in this even deeper jungle or to help, you know, it, it, like, you know, it helps with, with certain effects as well with inserting the stop motion, like the, this, the Stegosaurus um, rear projection, which was a kind of a brand new thing at this time mm-hmm. uh, was, was in there. Um, and you know, basically there was even green screens at this time. What they kind of had to do was, you know, a black and white movie, they would like showcase blue and yellow light onto kind of a backdrop. And then that's where they would kind of insert the, the stop motion animation. Like a lot of this was just, again, not necessarily invented by the crew, but brand new technologies that, that they basically used, um, for the very first time. Not, not the first time, but, but basically it was used on this level, on this scale for the very first time. Um, really quickly, I do want, one of the things I did discover about this movie was I was talking about the cast real quick because it is a very iconic cast. Um, obviously, you have, again, Frey Ray as Andaro, Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham, and Bruce Kebo as John Jack Driscoll. All three of these actors were at the studio working on the most dangerous game. And Cooper was just like, hey, do you want to do, you know, on your off days of shooting or like, hey, do you want to shine on for this other movie we're doing? Um, and everybody's, you know, basically what I kind of found when I was like looking up this stuff is there's a real, a little bit more of kind of almost a nine to five regular job type of nature to this stuff. Like, obviously, it still isn't because it's still like filmmaking and it's like acting and stuff like that. But there very much is like a Frey Ray comes to the studio and okay, today I've got King Kong for RKO and and then I got the most dangerous game. And then also during this period, she's doing another horror movie for RKO because her her distinctive thing, she was basically like one of the earliest scream queens, as you would call Mm -hmm. it, like because she was known for her scream. She was known for being in horror films. Like that was her distinctive thing. Oh, I, I mean, listen, I, I had this conversation actually with somebody quite recently, but I think people sometimes don't acknowledge how much of like an interchangeable business show business was in that sense. And a just okay movie with some great points in it, but it's still fun to watch, uh, Hail Caesar. Yeah, is, is a movie that is kind of like all about that mm-hmm. where it really and that's one of the things I do like about that movie. Like it really highlights the business part of show business in terms of like the attitude in which they did. It was kind of like a nine to five like and like or, you know, it it was almost like everybody was just kind of like a crew member, like even the actors were kind of like part of the crew in terms of like, well, yeah, it's like, you know, you're the star and like, hell yeah, by the way, you're a star in this movie, but we're, we're going to need you to be in this movie to like bring in this crowd. So we're just going to put you over here. Like, so it's it is funny to hear, you know, you you say that with uh, in regards to this movie. Yeah. So, like, like for example, like Frey Ray. You know, like they had considered like, you know, tr- again, we talked about like this is the era where like studios owned actors. Well, she was an RKO actress. Uh, Cooper had originally got wanted Jean Harlow for the role, but she was signed um, like during the casting process. She was signed away to I believe it was Paramount. Um, it was either Paramount 
or Fox. I can't remember which one, but she was like basically signed away to another studio. So like, okay, we well have Frey Ray. She is blonde. It'll go look good against Kong's fur done. And she can scream done. Uh, like uh, Bruce Cabot, Selznick had just pulled him from New Mexico and basically like, you're going to be a star. And he had like, not really, like he had kind of done a little acting, but it wasn't really his thing. They changed his name to Bruce Cabot because like, you know, it's like a whole, you know, you can't have, I think he has like a French name and it's like, you can't have a French name. It's Hollywood, Bruce Cabot. Like it's a cool French name. And then he said of the movie, I was told where to stand. I was told what to say. And I got paid for it. And that's how I got through the movie. It's just basically like, I was told what to do, where to stand. That's all I needed to do. Like, it was like, he didn't really put much thought. Like he admitted he didn't put much thought into the performance. He was just like, they told me what to do. And I did it. A uh, couple last things to note before we move on to the movie. Um, in, a tr- in the tradition of our old Godzilla roar segment, um, just talk about Kong's roar in this movie. We talked about how all those roars were made back then. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kong's roar in this movie was a mixture of uh, lion and tiger growls uh, played backwards. Oh, uh, cool. That was his thing, uh, which was done by Mary uh, Spiviak. And Spiviak also himself did all of what was called uh, Kong's love grunts, which was basically him uh, grunting into a megaphone and then playing that at a very slow speed. Um, the other big thing about this movie in terms of its post-production, obviously, again, they had to kind of finish up all this big effects work that they did for the movie and kind of make sure it looked good and had to do these reshoots. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, back then, again, this was 1932, uh, 19 into 1933. Uh, again, this kind of, we, people didn't know exactly how these kind of talking movies were. So a lot of talking, talking pictures at this time didn't really have major movie scores. They would have kind of an overture and an opening credits, maybe a little bit of music here and there, and then kind of a stinger at the end. Um, And RKO is basically like, okay, uh, Max Steiner, composer, just use your previous stuff. We don't want to spend more money. Cooper was like, no, this is my monkey movie. It needs to be perfect. So I need an original motion picture score. So uh, Cooper took five, $50,000 $50,000 of his own money and gave it to Steiner and said, make me a big music score. And though Kong isn't considered, it's not technically the first Hollywood film to have a full score, a full original score. It is considered the first real major motion picture to get attention for its full score. Um, it's something that had never really been done is that Steiner actually wrote more motifs and themes and had a Kong theme and had a love theme and had a Skull Island theme. Like, this was something that was a very new idea and Steiner was at the forefront of it where he was the f- basically Hollywood's first composer uh, and Kong truly has the first major score of a motion picture. Interesting. That almost explains the overture. Yes. <laughs> Overtures were a big thing. We just I know they were a big thing, but it's just interesting. Like then, but it's like, because this was also one of the primary eras of like, like we spent the money on it. We got to showcase it. So it's yeah. like, yeah, you just definitely have to do it. Right. I mean, we just saw an overture in uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. And that was like, that was the end of the overture era. That was like Star Trek. The motion- was there an overture? There was an, over- at least, you know, there's traditionally an overture, but it was over, but it was over credits. No, there was a black screen. I don't know if maybe it's not on the Amazon Prime version, but it's oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. I don't think I. Yeah, I don't remember. No, that. it should be because that's the part of the runtime. 
No, the 79, oh. the Black Hole and Star Trek, the motion picture are the last two Hollywood films. For the yes, I remember Black Hole, definitely. The traditional overture. But this was, again, this was something new, the, the film score. But basically, what a, what a relic of entertainment is the overture. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say that, you know, that comes from the theater and opera. And it's basically, it's like the whole point of it is, oh, like, you know, the audience is milling about and they play the overture and that's how you kind of know, oh, it's time. They're starting, so it's time. I, I would rather the overture than News by Maria Menounos, <laughs> like, personally. Like, when we went to go see King of the Monsters at the Chinese Theater and then they were play playing uh, Bear McCreary's soundtrack over the curtains before the movie started, Yeah, that I approve of. That's awesome. It gets you in the mood, yeah. gets you ready. I love it. Right, but it's, it's also, again, you got to think about how movies were you know, being played at this time, right? It was like in the rotation of like newsreels and, you know, Disney and Warner shorts and cartoons and then, okay, the movie now. So they kind of get people into the theater. So, uh, but that's basically sort of, again, a little background on uh, the original 1933 King Kong. Cool. So shall we talk about it? Let's get on board and see what, Cooper's uh, fascination and love for giant monkeys brought us. Apes. Apes. Come on. Come on, I got him. He'll be out for hours. Send to the ship for anchor chains and tools. What are you going to do? I'll build a raft to float him to the ship. Why, the whole world will pay to see this. No chains will ever hold that. We'll give him more than chains. He's always been king of his world, but we'll teach him fear. We're millionaires, boys. I'll share it with all of you. Why, in a few months, it'll be up in lights on Broadway. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world! All right. King Kong, the original 1933, the start of it all, Will. We're in the pre-code, what's called the golden age of Hollywood, black and white. It's again, as we talked about before, it is such an indelible icon of this era. It's something that people always go. It's one of those films that people always go back to this, this specific era of Hollywood and this specific era of the studio system. And, and I'm, and I'm here ready to roast it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Ladies, gentlemen, and all listeners, you are about to hear a roast <laughs> from from my side of it. <laughs> this movie, it's one of those things where it is it is one of those things where this movie is so of its period of time. And I I got to say, you know, it's like one of those things where you know, I have to say forefront outright that you know, it is still kind of impressive to see that they were making these types of special effects in that, in that era. It's just like, just again, to think about just when we think about filmmaking was it's like not even a hundred years ago. And you just see like the huge, you know, leaps and bounds of like just the way that motion pictures are made from like, you know, even 33 to like where we go in like the fifties with like, you know, we can talk about Kong and we can talk about Beast of 20,000 Fathoms or even like where 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in those 50s Disney films and those 50s like Jules Verne films were like, it's just the, the Hollywood and when you go back and you see like 
that this wasn't even a hundred years ago and like where filmmaking has gone is like to incredible to me. And it, it's to, the filmmaking in terms of the special effects should still be commended, but it really is a 1930s film and it has all the sort of flaws that is associated with just a very different style of filmmaking to, you know, a craft that does, you know, I just, it does get better and does have more like, you know, as we get more into the ability of special effects and the ability of cameras and the ability of actors and writers and directors. Like, I just feel like when you go back, it's such interesting to look at it, like a film like this and really see it as like a relic of what time period it was made. But having said all that, yeah, I don't know if this movie really holds up exactly in the way that I think a lot of people think it does personally. So I, before college, my dad and I took a cross country road trip and we went to go visit Mount Rushmore and Mount Rushmore is Mount Rushmore. It's, it's famous. It's, it's, it's a, it's a geographical icon. You've seen it in all the movies. You've seen it in all the cartoons. You've seen it everywhere. It, it's, it's just a, it's just an American treasure. We went to go see. So we went to go see it, saw it in person. And uh, the first thing we thought, like, it's not, it's not as big as we thought it could. <laughs> as we thought it may be and and it, it it's but it's also like but what you can't like you're not gonna say anything bad about it like it's like it is what it is like it, it it's such an icon like you you don't even want to dare like try to besmirch it because it's just like it's just so like it, it it's iconography is just set in time and history there's really nothing else to say about it and that's kind of how I feel about King Kong in terms of there is merit to it that I will talk about, but it's almost like, yeah, I mean, the things that work are good in it, but the legacy and the story of King Kong is just so ingrained. It is seared into American and film and worldwide history that you can't even, I couldn't even bring myself to really make a distinction if I liked the movie, if I didn't like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. a very weird experience. That being said, I, but I, so I, I could not, I, I just do not have like the, the energy, the bravery, whatever to make a definitive. This is if I liked or disliked it, but I have many other feelings about it that were very fascinating to, to watch. One of the things is like, I, I, it didn't really dawn on me like it has been a minute since I've seen this movie because I was like watching it. I'm like, oh, I really don't remember some of the details. Now, once you get into the second half of the movie, it's like, oh, yeah, that I, I of course, I remember all of that. But you, you know what? I, I, actually, Nick, I think I may say I, I may say the I'll, I'll lead in with the bold take I have about this movie. Yes. And, and this is something I didn't think about until the end. I think this is a case, and I use this word lightly. I think this is a case where the entire legacy of King Kong has ruined this movie. <laughs> That's a fair assessment, honestly. That's a fair assessment. And it's the almost the exact opposite of Godzilla, 
where Godzilla has a legacy, then you go back and watch the original movie, which has its own very unique vision that may be antithetical to the rest of what the legacy is. And then it's like, oh, it's like you you get this treat because it's this kind of like dark, um, like uh, destruction monster movie. King Kong, on the other hand, uh, it, it was very interesting with the entire legacy of King Kong to watch and then just kind of see this version of it. Yeah. And so that what like specifically speaking, like let's do the obvious one. Like, let's just take the obvious, like the Peter Jackson King Kong. Yeah. And there's going to be like a lot of um, parallels and it's not going to be the first, the first, or it's not going to be, it is the first time we're bringing it up. It's not going to be the last time we're going to bring it up. But just when you look at all the elements of King Kong, for instance, the beauty and the beast, like kind of line, like what is something that has, that is now been the legacy of Kong? Oh, King Kong, like is the monster, but he's also the gentle giant, and you know they has a connection with the, with the with the woman and everything. You watch this movie, you don't get any of that, like, <laughs> or at least you get it in the in the most superficial of ways. That it, it was almost like all the other legacy and the material over it expanded on this, but in a way that when I watch this original one. Like, I'm like, I'm missing all the things that I liked about it. Does that kind of make No, it, it makes it makes 100% sense. Like, that was actually one of my biggest takeaways from this movie is that one of those things we associate with King Kong is like, you know, his relationship with, you know, whatever female lead is in his movie. That, that goes even into the, you know, the Japanese, you know, the two Japanese films. Like, we talked about it with uh, uh, King Kong Escapes. Like, that's a big part of that movie that you know the the female scientist is that his connection with kong in that movie is a big plot point um and more definitely more expanded upon than this like that was like one of the big shocks is like you know again we do associate sort of that that element as you said and there's very little nuance to it in this movie and like almost every other version of kong expands upon that in I was some kind respect. of I was really shocked about how pared down it is like but the, but then at the same time like I don't want to say that it's bad because it's like this was the first movie that they did that so then they expanded on it later so I don't it's not a fault of this movie as much as the legacy has just like really outgrown like the the minutia of this movie now what what I will say though is that listen i i completely agree with you there's some off the charts technical filmmaking in here and i'm not trying to take away any of that from it and i think like obvious it's very clear and it becomes extraordinarily clear as the movie goes on that the technological aspect of the movie is the star of the film it, it it's very clear like i i think even like like ray harryhausen like has like a commentary track on it i mean it's like you know the actors are the actors, but like you, you would want to just hear about how the movie is made well, more yeah, so I mean, than like, anything else. That's the else. thing is like because you know Harryhausen was O'Brien's protege. Like he, everything he learned about stop motion filmmaking, he learned from O'Brien. And uh, I think like Harryhausen will definitely come up uh, whenever we talk about Son of Kong because I there's some information about that as well. Um, 
but yeah, it's just like, this still is something that people go back to and just, you know, marvel at again, especially because again, the period it's in and like what other types of movies were being made around this time. Like there wasn't, you know, this level of special effects filmmaking. It is again, not necessarily the first special effects film, but it is one of the, like the major milestones in terms of special effects filmmaking, getting a big, big, you know, star. And it's like, it's also like once you go through that history too, it's very clear that really, excuse me, really the the special effects was the reason this movie was getting made and the reason mm-hmm. that the passion was behind this movie. That, you know, a lot of what, when when we had these like five writers coming through and, and, and all this, you know, stuff, it was in service of we want to make a movie about like a giant monkey and it fights some, it fights some dinosaurs. He goes to New York. Here, here's the deal. Okay, uh, mentioning the Peter Jackson King Kong, which I, I'm just going to come out and say is a better movie in almost every way, um, except for maybe the special effects. And the and that's not even a better or worse thing. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Because this will be the argument. And I've heard this argument many times about this movie. And the argument for why somebody would like this movie or, you know, kind of put this movie above like the Jackson King Kong or even like the um, the Bridges one. Uh, which I do want to watch. Um, I'm so excited for that movie, by the way. Yeah, I'm ahead. really excited to watch that. But the 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 leg up that people will give this movie will be the yeah, but the Peter Jackson one is like green screens and CGI, and and this one is like the Ray Harryhausen practical effects puppetry. And here's where I'm at with that argument. To me, it's not a better or worse thing. It's just like it's different, like because it's like I don't want to say like well, one achievement of like the art form is different. Like, I mean, if you're gonna tell me that, like, what's her name, Naomi Watts, like you know, kind of being thrown around on a green screen is kind of hokey. It is, but I also saw a terrible what is they called the force projection like rear projection the rear projection does not hold up in this movie i'm sorry so can i i I, I the one impressive it's impressive and i get it technically for the time but if we're gonna be fair it does not hold up and i'm only saying that because there are effects that do hold up in this film i just think about one of them yeah the one scene where the the crew is traveling around the stegosaurus they just killed on that rear projection screen and are clearly like reacting to a special effects shot for the first time where they're like oh like there's the stegosaurus it's uh we gotta get around it oh look it's tail just moved it's still alive we gotta get out of here like there's that sort of like right right like, yeah and yeah. it's just very like clearly like they're got us going around this big giant screen no i mean it's just it's different filmmaking and and it's, but, but 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 the the argument i was gonna make though too like if that is the argument that like okay and and, and to be fair i am you know me i'm one of the people who will say like listen i will appreciate and engage with the movie based purely on its technical merits like i I, like there i've been plenty of movies where it's like listen the like the the special effect filmmaking in here is like you know it's up my alley and you know maybe the rest of the movie is lacking and this is the thing but like if you're gonna hang your hat on that solely on the well it's like a practical like handmade thing I just feel like at that point, then I'm watching the movie as like a tech demo reel at that point. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. because, and, and in some ways it was very entertaining and that worked, but I also was like pretty struck by 
it's basically just like scene after scene of monster action. Yeah. And that's not bad, but but again, I think what made it weird to watch is because almost every other Kong movie after this at least peppers in like breaks in the story and moments with characters and there's just so little of that in this. Yeah, and again, I was I, I was pretty surprised about that. Right, I, I still think it's like uh, yeah, I mean it's just again, it's just what type of movie this was going to be in 1933 i think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things like now having watched this and almost this is kind of like i don't want to call it the albatross but this is like the one you know this is the one that hangs over the rest of them because again it's the original and it's it's this iconic movie and it changed cinema and it really truly did in so many ways but it's almost like now i'm like super excited to get to like that's those 70 like you know king kong and king kong lives and like uh, the rewatch the Peter Jackson Kong because it really want to see like people take this idea into deeper and more different ways. And again, not necessarily better, not necessarily worse. The films will speak for themselves as time goes on, but it's just going to be fascinating to kind of get that, especially with like what, how this movie, like kind of, it does set up this very iconic and interesting sort of idea and story. And, and again, super unique for the time, but, you're almost right because it's also the thing I think is we just kind of have, you know, especially with Kong, you just have the very basic story mm-hmm. in your head. It's like they go to Skull Island, they find Kong, they bring him back to New York, he rampages and then falls off the Empire State Building. Like that's what you kind of think about it. And then you kind of were like, oh, yeah, well, there's like the big lead up to them to get Skull Island. Oh, yeah, there's like all the natives on the island. Oh, yeah, there's this, again, the yeah, right, the long section where like he's fighting T-Rexes and weird kind of like semi-snake things. And Yeah, but you know what? Like, I, like one of the arguments I'll hear about the Peter Jackson Kong is like everybody's like, yeah, but there's too much like stuff in New York before they get on the boat. And, and, and you know, listen. That movie is three hours long. I don't know if it needs to be three hours long. Like I, I like I, I like that movie. But every time I'm thinking about watching it, I do think like, but do I really want to watch three hours of a King Kong movie? And like, we'll get to that. We'll definitely yeah, get to that. It, it, but like, but not for nothing. But it's like you know that all that stuff leading up to it at least gets me allows me to track characters and gets me at least a little bit more invested into like who like who's who and what are they doing here and it it, it makes me connect with people a little bit more and like this movie like there's shades of that definitely with some of the characters but it kind of drops it like really really halfway through the weirdest part about this movie i i feel like a broken record on this but the most fascinating thing about revisiting this movie for me was that it has become such a cultural touchstone, but but has like kind of emotionally distanced itself away from like watching it for me. And what I mean by that is like, I didn't know when watching this movie, I didn't know anything else to do with it other than purely analyze it as a piece of history. Mm-hmm. If that, you know, it, no, I, it was a I, very I, weird wa- learning it, it, experience, I, watching I, experience. I understand what you mean 100%. I think that was what I was going through too, honestly. Like, and and that was like down to like praising the special effects, which are, which are awesome. But then also like thinking about like the weird implications of the colonialism and things like that. There, there was yeah. Like, there, there was so yeah. Much. Oh, for sure. 
Um, it is. I, I do find it. I, I do find it interesting though that, like, the movie really does like portray Carl Dunham as like a an asshole for like the entirety of the movie, which I kind of do, you know, like because it's easy to make that character kind of like somewhat likable, but he really is just like. You know, he's taking all these people on an expedition and telling them nothing about it. And then basically like commanding people to be like, yeah, talk to them natives and tell them we want to see Kong. And like, wait, you wait, know. wait, did you just, did you just say that they try to make them likable? No, I said it's, it would be easy to make a character like oh, that. Like right, give right, him right. The, no, I'm saying like, they don't make him likable. I like that about the movie because there is this sort of yeah, idea. Yeah, but like, even like, but even like in the, in the, in the Jackson one, like, at least Peter Jackson does like this thing with Jack Black's character where they kind of make this like descent slowly into madness. So you can kind of track him as a guy. I mean, I guess he's kind of fun in this movie, but like, I mean, he's, he, no, he's basically an asshole for the entirety of the film. Right. Yeah. It, it's like, I also, apparently he's made movies with just no women in them. <laughs> oh, that's also directly. That's Ruth directly putting a DB. Uh, it's not DB Cooper. Uh, that's a different character. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, a Marion Cooper thing, because Cooper also had this uh, complaint about previous films where he like Ruth, critics would legitimately be like, "Oh, but if this had a if this had a romantic angle, it would you know it would be a, a, an all timer." Mm-hmm. And so basically, he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my Kong movie. And it's gonna make a you know like yeah." But that was I mean, it's also Hollywood in the 1930s. I mean, you know. Yes, there were a lot of leading ladies at that time, but it also wasn't a paragon for like equal yeah, rights true. at that point. You, you know, and, and at the risk of sounding like the youngish person who's complaining about old movies, I'm just going to do it. What is up with the acting in this movie? Like, it's because like, like, like when you watch that first scene when they're on the boat and they're in the room and they're talking about like, you know, they're going to go to this island or whatnot everybody's like nobody is talking like a real person and it's not just this movie it's like everyone is like performing at like the loudest possible like the thing it's like well we're gonna go to the we're gonna gonna go to the island well where are you gonna find a woman to go on the island with i don't know there's always a woman somewhere like nobody talks and and it's funny because i get it because there is a little bit of the presentation and like i know at this time there was kind of like that more of like th- that theater acting when it came that's, came to films, that's really but... what it is it's just sort of like a transition of like theatrical like you know broadway theater acting because you know at this point especially most of the people that were in these movies you know started off on broadway started off in plays and started off in the theater and then you know the film was the new thing and especially once the talking pictures came in you know because you, like you oh so you're so you're saying like since they were once they became talkies everybody wanted to but they weren't used to that so everybody had I to mean, talk I, but really that's, loud. But that's part of the and again that's part of tracking this like evolution of film that i'm so interested in because sure this sure. very yeah, was yeah, yeah. much like the style of the time and it basically was translate because it's like you're translating you know theater actors with a basically you know static camera because that's what the camera you had right you had to crank it and keep it in place so you're basically just having these people on a set and acting and this is what you know not necessarily like this what broadway acting was but that's just the, it was the style of the time and it's fascinating to go through and the the you know there were stars to be sure but like we see 
you know, over the course of even this decade, we just see things get better. Mm-hmm. We yeah. do. Like, yeah, it's just, and, and, it's and, more and interesting is, and deeper. This is part of the roast, too. I understand it's like a it's a it's a product of the time and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's just funny. It's just funny to watch. Um, but yeah, so that that was that was something. And then, you know, then, then they find and then, you know, they find Anne and then they get yeah, her on the boat. She's like, you know, trying to steal apples because she's yeah. poor. Uh, they get her on. Yep. They and he convinces her, you know, that, you know, hey, you're going to be in my new movie. He's not mm. telling any, he's not telling anybody where they're going. Right. He's just right. Like he's, right. He found See, this. OK, so this was like a thing I actually forgot about that. I completely forgot that his plan was to go find the legend of Kong and like essentially photograph him yes that i completely forgot about Mm -hmm. i forgot that that was like the motivation because i believe in the jackson one it's he just thinks it's like a an exotic island that's uncharted and he's going to go film there yeah and then it's going to be a movie that's never been filmed anywhere else so like i i thought that was interesting watching and one and one line i there's a couple lines actually in the movie that i actually rather like because the one thing i will say about the movie despite it you know uh, you know, the overall presentation is like, you know, there are some kind of like big, bold choices just in terms of like telling the story. And there are some like kind of very self-aware uh, moments that I, I definitely appreciate, pre- appreciated. Um, but one of the the lines that I liked was like, he, he specifically says, like, he's like, it's like, it's a, it's a legend that no white man has ever seen. And I, and I just kind of liked that level of self-awareness in terms mm-hmm. of, the uh the implications of like you know them uh them the the the, the privilege and the, impl- the the implications of privilege that they're putting in on that i, I kind of yeah. really enjoyed that as a little moment one but speaking of that one moment that drove me batshit crazy i i i like i i, I went crazy watching this part nick there's a moment when they finally set sail right and they're on this boat and Anne is like, you know, she's like, she's like acting like she's on a cruise. She's on a pile of ropes, just like kind of like leaning over the side of the boat. And then there's just like this poor Chinese guy mm-hmm. just, just, what's it called? He's, he's peeling potatoes yeah he's peeling potatoes nothing wrong with that no you know you know that's you know that's fine he's making a he's making a living and then but Anne is just this white lady just leaning back clean clean white dress and then she's just talking about like how many potatoes have you been peeling since you've been he's like yep like more than i i can count nick the way this guy is answering her questions just i felt for him so much because she's just like standing above him leaning back while this poor man is laboring over the ship's like supply of potatoes and he and he just if he would have just said if this was a modern day movie there's no way they wouldn't have made like some sort of self-aware joke to the camera it's like this white lady like i just Mm -hmm. Because then the whole thing is like, the, like she's like, you know, do you like make a lot of money on that? And yes. Then, and, and then he's yes! like, and then he says, uh, hopefully enough to go back to China someday or yeah, something. Yeah, like it that. was. I was like, and then she like, like she just kind of like chuckles it off as like, you know, oh, what a whimsical little lad. And I was like, I was like, oh my god, this is that's this is crazy. 
another i want to oh say another, another sign that this is a 1930s movie and an early 1930s movie is the absolute bare bones bare minimum romance that exists oh, in this god. movie oh, because Lord. It's, it's the classic old hollywood of guy is really mean and semi abuse like like verbally abusive towards this woman of just basically like uh, women don't belong on ships. They're just a distraction, and you're all—you're just a distraction by existing as a woman. And then, <laughs> and then you know she's being like, "Oh, that's like that's really mean." And then literally, like the next time those characters get together, they're like making out and being like, "And then oh, he, oh, like, I, I, but okay, I, I actually wrote this down um, because at one point out of nowhere, he says, "You know what? I love you." And I was like, and I was like, did did my DVD skip? <laughs> like, what happened? But Nick, I wrote down the line. The, the the interaction goes like this. You know what? Or like something like, I love you. But Jack, you hate women. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, there's no, I mean, there's one other bigger sign of the times, I guess, technically speaking. But but the thing is, like, they don't even really commit to him being an asshole. He's just kind of like, it's just so, it's just so theater. It's so theater. Like, it, he's just leaning into, like, everybody's just like an archetype. And he is like the rugged, like, no woman's ever going to tie this down and then later on he's like you've tied me down like it's just it's it was very bizarre and mix and that on top of the fact that like i said nobody talks like a real person like ever in yep. the movie it is it, such a good thing also apparently there's this huge deal made at the beginning of this movie it's like this expedition is so strange it's like it's like what did you see the crew it's like oh there's not that many it's like no there's more than there needs to be there's like five people on screen at a time and i'm like yeah where is everybody well until they all go ashore there's like a billion of them is there yeah when i don't when, even remember that yeah part. there's a there's a big group of people when they away yeah uh one part a, I, what one part i did like in the movie though was uh when they're on the boat and they're um and they're um you know they're uh doing the the screen test yeah the screen test with with ann who may be an idiot. I, I, I couldn't tell if she was an idiot or not. Um, but I think everybody's an idiot. But like, I was like, I couldn't, there's tell. A, there's a, there's I couldn't a... tell what they were going with. If she uh, dude, the Chinese man thing really, really got under my skin. That's what I'm like, is this character an idiot? <laughs> they're going for like a naive, like never been like out in the world type of thing. I think like they're going for like. You know, she was like, you know, kind of poor living on the street. She's like never been out of like New York. And, you know, she's kind of never really had like an adventure. And she's like, oh, this is like all so incredible. Yeah, oh my but God. the way the movie, I have a big question about this movie and I'll save it for another very specific point. But anyway, the screen test scene, what I did like, there's there's another line moment that I liked about this and it was kind of like developing the character. So it was a moment in the movie that I did like that they, uh, there was character based was when they're doing the scream test and then he is just pushing her and pushing her to like pretend like she's seeing the most horrifying thing that she's seen and then like you know she does it and then it cuts back to jack and he's like what is he's like what does he think she's really going to see on that island and that was just kind of like a, a nice yeah. little moment that like builds up like that 
that he may know something that they don't. I, I just kind of, that was a um, and, nice moment I liked. And, and I also liked, what I liked about that scene also is how it parallels the eventual when she's tied up and sees Kong for the first time. Because I actually did think it was like the one point in the movie where there's actually like kind of what you would call like kind of a, a parallel or, or a kind of a thematic filmmaking where it's like, you know, she has this big scene where it's like, you know, she's like, you know, the screen test where she's still looking kind of like beautiful and kind of coy and she can't help but smile but she's like trying to be like this big screamer and like you know the big build up like oh like it's coming you can't you can't look away like you know maybe if you look away you'll scream like you have to cover your eyes like there's this whole kind of big build up and then you kind of parallel that to like the actual moment where she sees Kong and it's just immediate terror Mm -hmm. like I did kind of like I like that I I did like that sort of how that that paralleled and it's one of those things that's kind of like it's almost like that sort of like oh, this is where filmmaking can go. I kind of felt like this is like what like kind of becomes a big aspect of filmmaking is mm. kind of using those visual cues, like, you know, and paralleling things and making thematic things, which I think is kind of very, you know, again, it's, it really is. It's like, you're, you know, at this point, like a lot of times you're taking like playwrights and novelists and stuff and, you know, you're kind of making them filmmakers and, and writers. And I feel like you could just kind of see a little bit of like where this craft of cinema is going, you know, in that sort of aspect. Yeah, I agree. Um, so then they get to the island. They do, and um, this is this is like a very interesting part of the movie because I know it's like think peace island, but I actually had a very interesting kind of experience watching this. That all like all of this stuff. Um, first of all, it was one of the funniest parts of the movie when they oversee like this ritual going on and then like they, they get pointed out and then he's just like too late. They see us. <laughs> well, it's like, Cause it's done. Like they're there for like five minutes, like observing this thing. And then Dunham's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to film this thing. And they're like, wait a minute. Like they're clearly going to see you. And he's like, I'm, I'm filming this thing. And then I just got to get a little footage for this amazing movie I'm making. And then, and then basically like he's the one who steps out. Cause they're all kind of hiding behind kind of like this, a tree or a hut or something like that. I can't remember what they were hiding behind, but like, like 20 people are hiding behind this thing and they're staying out of sight. And then Dunham just steps up with his camera and starts cranking. Then of course, like the leader of these tribesmen who are doing this big ritual, like point him out and they're like, Oh damn, they've seen us. It's like, of course you did. You stepped out and like had this big camera out there. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. You, ass- you asshole. Yeah. So, yeah, the, so the thing about the villagers in this movie, where I'm sure some other people have way more nuanced and well thought out thoughts about it, um, the element of it that was like kind of very bizarre to me was like, like listen, I mean, you know, of the time it is what it is. Like, you know, you're they're on the island. It's the exotic villagers. It was another thing actually I appreciated more about uh, Skull Island is that you know they kind of. Um, the Kong Skull Island um, is that they do find a very clever way to circumvent the ex- like the um, the exotic how, how do you say the exotic exotization yeah <laughs> or, uh, yeah I'm, right yeah I know, I just, you know may, yeah so but like you know kind of um, I just felt like that movie did like a good job of finding a tasteful way of doing villagers in a, in a way that I understand is problematic. And, and a lot of these, in a lot of these films, mm-hmm. but the thing that really stuck out to me was like, it didn't really come into full force until the eventual, like, okay, 
like it's like listen like we were going to sacrifice a woman but now we see your white woman and we really want that white woman yeah to get like, to it's our like what they like, they point out it's like the gold like the gold hair and the white, right, like, right. basically like which again is like another unfortunate classic trope of these types of things is like you know the tribesmen being infatuated with with the white well that's what it is thing. and you can and, and that's the thing it's like textually you can definitely see that like and that's why these movies are always kind of interesting to talk about because i don't think that it's as nefarious as what how it can come off i think it's just kind of like a well like a damsel in distress thing but it's also in a way like you don't re you unfortunately this the the other implication of that is is that okay well the it's like you know the the native black you know uh the black natives like really like they just desire the white woman <laughs> like, yeah and, and they're they're gonna it's like, come oh, and, and it's like especially like you know in terms of this like incredible sacrifice it's like over all the other women in the tribe right like all right, the other right, like, women yeah. there it's like it's got to be the white woman because she's the best she's like yeah it's like because it's like we find her to be like the mo the pinnacle of desirability and, you know yeah. it's like they're trying to they're like it's, we'll give you weird we'll give you six of our women for like one of yours like that yeah that's yeah, sort of yeah. <laughs> that was either, you're right that was, oh god oh no yeah so that yeah I, i'll let that speak for itself but that yeah. was like that was the element of it that that stood out as the most uncomfortable about it Mm -hmm. more more so than that but i mean if we're talking about on a costume level design and just from a production value level design all that kind of like uh the ritual stuff was pretty well produced yeah and the the it just like yeah i mean and of course like the iconic giant wall uh as well you know and this the the production design is, is something to be commended and then we get to the point where they go back to the boat the the natives steal Anne off the boat they tie her up to the uh the big stick thing and we finally get our first uh, appearance of king kong kong what a bizarre looking ape <laughs> i mean again it's just it's fascinating it really is just he's kinda... kind of a goofball isn't he, is. he yes yeah yeah that was which i mean honestly i, not... I couldn't get a read on it not, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's like an element of what Coop, like what Cooper was fascinated by. It was just kind of like, you know, these big, you know, making a big creature that they didn't want to make him look too goofy with the thing, but there's still like an element of like, it's going to come off, come off that way with the, with the big, uh, you know, cause it's like, again, just the stop motion nature, the big face, like, especially when they do the close up face of like him widening his eyes and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the the one thing that did not work for me is anytime they use like the really up close animatronic it remind it that was for me how godzilla 84 uh like the animatronic oh, yeah. godzilla head is for you oh yeah 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 okay yeah, yeah that's kind of how i felt about it well I, I mean like it's almost like again like that that entrance of king kong is kind of again because he's like coming through the trees and but it, it really is like Frey Ray's like scream and just that element is just, it is iconic and it's just a moment. And like, it is a moment of cinema where you're just watching that and you're just kind of like this, it, this like happened and, and it became a big deal. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so they take, yeah, they take, he takes her in. And, and then, so then after that happens, it's just like, like, just like going through the eye, like basically no other character thing happens for another hour. 
No, because it's like they're going through the island. There's like they they encounter the Stegosaurus that charges at them, which I thought like was great. By the by the way, all the dinosaur stuff great in the yes. movie. With the one exception of at one point they explain what a dinosaur is as if it were an EMP. <laughs> like cuz at one point somebody's like, "What is that?" It's like it's a it's a dinosaur. A dinosaur? Yes, a creature from a prehistoric age. <laughs> Like, and I'm like, what, what, what is this? An EMP? Like, well, gotta, I mean, again, Will, you got to like the discover. Like, we are not too far away from this movie being made to like the discovery of dinosaur fossils. Like, you also got to think about that. Like, oh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess. Like, because like, I always think about yeah. eight, eight years after this Fantasia before the Rite of Spring segment, they have Deems Taylor do this huge explanation of just like, by the way, you might want to hear about these dinosaur things. They're pretty cool. Like we're really not too far off. So it is, it's just kind of funny because um, I, you know what? Again, I, I, I know I jokingly referenced the Muppet show earlier, but it actually is. Cause again, the Muppet show just got on Disney plus and it is a similar experience I'm having with the Muppet show where it's like, they sing like, you know, there's Eliza Minnelli episodes and she sings Barry Manilow's Copacabana. It's just like a song that's been ingrained in your head. You just kind of know it as this kind of weird disco tune that Barry Manilow did. And then you realize like, oh, like that song came out the year that episode was filmed. Like that was like a fresh song at that point. Mm-hmm. Or like Leslie Ann Warren is singing Billy Joel. Like, oh, that album was like from the previous year. And it's kind of that same thing where it's like, we kind of take for granted the knowledge that we have of just like, oh yeah, like dinosaurs are second nature to us. Like we live in a world with Jurassic Park, but like we're not too far removed from them. Like trying to figure out, oh shit, like dinosaurs might've been a thing. It's like interesting. Fair but enough. I I love like the again like kind of the just the way that the Stegosaurus thing was filmed where you see like the Stegosaurus going through yeah that was the good wilderness and then it comes like back closer and then it like backs up and charges like that was really neat mm-hmm. um, again the, the the subsequent rear projection of them surrounding it is not great um, the the Kong T Rex fight is is a classic as well um, yeah I mean there's really not too much else to say about that but other than it that that holds up. Though again, it's well. like that's like the that I think the T Rex fight is like the one moment where you get a little bit of like because like Anne's you know Anne's still screaming and she's doing that, but then she's watching the Kong fight and she's almost like getting into it. Like that's like the one little bit of like the like oh she kind of has something about Kong, but then it's again completely dropped when she's taken in the cave, and then there's the other fight with the um, the the snake with two legs. Yeah, the 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 one uh, the one kind of little note I wanted to make about the the fight with the T Rex, it was just kind of like a, a little kind of touch that I liked. That I kind of liked that she was like covering her ears. Yeah, during the fight, looking at it, and it was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, like, listen, like if you've ever heard animals fight, it is a very unpleasant sound. Mm-hmm. And imagine just like that, but for giant animals, like, so that was just kind of a nice oh, little, touch you know what? I do like. also want to point out. I like the, I really like the end of that fight where Kong like just breaks that T-Rex's jaw and like, there's like blood coming out of it. And then Ooh. he like, and he basically like starts moving the jaw just to make sure yes, yeah, that like yeah. that it's dead. Like that was a very, 
that was like a very animal touch too. Yeah, they they replicate that moment in the Peter Jackson one too. Mm-hmm. Like they they bring that back. Yeah. So and, uh, and he does that actually a couple times. It's a and and I kind of like that just from an animator's perspective that they were kind of tracking the behavior of Kong throughout it. You mentioned also the the snake. And one thing I did like about the idea of the snake and and also the pterodactyl later, which, by the way, that was actually a great moment when Kong walks away and then she gets up and out of nowhere, a pterodactyl just kind of comes down. But the reason I like that is because, like, you know, it, this is all happening in, like, Kong's home. But it really just gives you that feel of, like, this is what it would be like to be in nature. Like, just because, like, you're in your nest doesn't mean, like, an animal wouldn't just try to come swoop you up or yeah. sneak into your cave to eat you. Like, so I, I like that. Uh, I, I like that element of it. I do want to point out, by the way, it is technically not a snake. It does have two legs. It was supposed to have four legs. They ran out of time. So they're like, let's just make it like this weird oh, two-legged funny. creature. Um, I would agree. The, the I, I really like that pterodactyl moment where like he puts her down, the pterodactyl just swoops in, and Kong just like like immediately like rips that pterodactyl apart. But also this is that another infamous scene from the movie uh, that was actually uh, cut out of the movie for a long time for a couple years after its 1933 original release, the scene of uh, Kong taking a uh, ripping off the, not ripping off, but like stripping the dress of Anne uh, in his hands. Yeah. And, and the way that they, cause, okay. So this was a scene. Okay. Here's the scene that kind of brought up the big, as Harry Osborne would say, the question of the day. Um, and because this was a scene where I was like, is this in this movie or not? Because I remember seeing it in this movie. And then you're right. There were perversions of the movie where it's just it wasn't in there. So I'm like, is this scene in this movie? So we get to this point and I'm like, oh, maybe it's not in this movie. And then and then it happens. I'm like, oh, it's in this movie. And it's kind of more to be fair. It's kind of played as like an animal just kind of like, yes, with something. And then he's like, oh, what, what, what's this? So. It, it it to me was actually less creepy than what I remembered it being because I remembered it being like oh he's like peeling her like a like a like a like a corn on the cob yeah. like and it's more of just like oh like oh it's like this but but here is what I will say about this scene and it was a question that I had many times at like every like 10 15 minutes in this movie and I'm gonna ask it right now when this scene played is this a comedy? Is this movie funny? Because like it's played as like he's all like, huh? Huh? Uh-huh. What what is this? And then she's just like, wait, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And then he starts tickling her. <laughs> he's like, boo, 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 huh? Boo, boo, boo. And I was like, wait, is so and there were a couple moments like that in this movie where I'm like, wait, is it is this a funny movie? <laughs> is this what this is supposed to be? I <laughs> I, I probably would say no, but maybe, you know, I don't know how an audience would, you know, I want to go to this point. Because right now. that, that moment was not played as like danger. It wasn't played as like, like no, it's a, a lighter it's, moment. It's a lighter yeah. moment. And it's like, cause the thing is, is like Kong, especially in this movie is, you know, again, we kind of talk about like, he's very much portrayed as kind of like an animal. And that's like one of the few moments where there's kind of like a, a, a higher kind of a somewhat of a higher kind of intelligence or like a more sort of human moment, even though it's still very animal like, you know, because he's like kind of tickler and like kind of fascinated with how she's like reacting to him. And it is just one of those things where I, I think that 
it's just it just plays differently now. Like one of the other thoughts that I had throughout this movie is we, you know, you get that question sometimes it pops up on Twitter, like the type of question where it's like, if you could go to any movie like premiere, or if you could go to like opening weekend of any movie in history, like what would you see? You know, everybody's like, oh, I'd love to go to Star Wars, or I'd love to go to like, whoa, what did people think about Back to the Future? Like all that sort of stuff. What did people think about Jurassic Park when it first came out? I would really be curious to go back to like 1933 and like sit in a theater and just sit in the back and like what people seeing this movie were reacting. Like how did people react to that moment? Like it's just very interesting to me because I just think like it would be a very different way of watching a movie, you know? Oh, Uh, I I have an even more specific question that kind of like piggybacks off of that. Because there is a lot of things in this movie where I'm like, okay, it's a big blockbuster movie, essentially. It's supposed to be a big creature, crowd-pleasing feature. And, you know, and the the characters are being, like, a lot. They are probably performing big because of the type of movie it is. And, and, it, and it struck me, like, this finally struck me for the first time ever. Is this what people mean about this is how we'll look at, like the Marvel movies like 20 years from now. <laughs> like, like, and I, Not that I feel that way, but is this kind of what those people mean? Because to be frank, like I'm watching this and I'm like, wait, was that funny? Because when you think about it now, like again, just to play devil's advocate, I guess you could like, you know, like, you know, when you watch like a superhero movie now, it's like everybody is kind of being like, you know, funny and like likable all the time. And like, and you know, they're kind of like playing to, you know, to a more, to, uh, uh, like aiming to please and everything. Obviously I wouldn't make, it's not, I wouldn't make the exact parallel because, you know, I feel like, you know, those movies have a little bit more like nuance and like, you know, character moments in them, obviously, but it did strike me as like, is this what those people mean when they say things like that is how I'm looking at this movie. I mean, it's interesting to think about, you know, it's like, it's just interesting. I mean, and again, like we just, it's like, it's hard because we just live in a very different era of like, you know, how we take things in, you know, it's not like, you know, again, people, again, one of the other things to consider is that like, you know, if you wanted to see King Kong again, you either have to find a print to rent or just wait for RKO to re-release it every couple of years. It's not like, you know, we can like study and analyze it. And it's just like, that's what people kind of how people take in the movie. They would get to see it every couple of years and, you know, and then it kind of builds that legacy upon itself. Um, and it just was a very different time. Again, I say it, we're in a very primordial era of filmmaking here. Like this is just a lot of stuff about film, you know, cause again, we were talking, well, the reason we talk about that, that movie, uh, that scene with the dress was cut once the, the Hayes code came in, which is the big censorship mm-hmm. code that was very strict about like how Hollywood films, what they could present. So basically that the was the original 33 version of the movie and then didn't get put back in until about the 1970s, about when the, the 70s Kong came out. Uh, so it's just a very different era. And, and just thinking about how people reacted to this movie. And like, again, because spoilers, it was a very, very popular film. Like it's, right, it was right. one of the highest grossing movies ever made up to that point. So um, it's just it's just interesting. Now, answer me this. How did they get him on the boat? Because uh, I'll be honest, I, I was kind of dipping in and out so toward, basically, <laughs> toward like, the end right here. So I was like, Jack wait, how did saved, they get him on the boat? Jack saves Anne, right? Yeah. And then they're like running back to the village and 
there there's also this great moment where like they like the whole like filmmaking team and and, and uh you know carl dunham and they're all like oh we got to close the gate because kong's like running and then he like beckons like the he like calls over the like natives like come on you got to help us close the gate and like everybody right, right, and all, yeah. all the even all the natives are like oh shit this is not good we get the like again the iconic iconic classic moment everybody always talks about where kong busts through the big wall and opens up the gate and like yells at everybody he basically kind of runs around i think they it's like one of those things where they kind of like trip him up knock him out like with gas and stuff like that yeah and then that's the moment where because that's the moment where he's knocked out and then like the 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 ship captain and and everybody's like okay like okay he's done we got to get out of here and then dunham's like no we got to bring him back to new york with us we're gonna all be millionaires i promise to split it with every one of you like and it's like and they're like well i I will say about like the scene leading up to this it's like i did enjoy no pun intended a kong going ape shit like i just thought like the the random brutality in this movie is pretty awesome oh when he starts stepping on those people in the mud like he he steps on one person and then he falls to the ground and he pulls him back to step on him yes i was like holy crap now for every time that happened then they did the whole like they put a person in the animatronic kong mouth which is kind of goofy the first time but then they do it again later and i was like yes some producers like we paid for that put it on screen as much as possible Mm -hmm. (laughs) do the do the mouth gag again well uh yeah so but i i did enjoy that like him destroying yeah, just, the village yeah, yeah I like just going that. crazy and it's basically like and it's also then considering like like you know the white people come in and basically anger this god to the point where like you know the natives that have like kept it like docile for years they're like their village is just getting decimated and then they take their god essentially like put him up in chains and bring him back to new york city and yeah. and then the rest of king kong <laughs> i mean this is just again like it's almost the part that everybody thinks about, really thinks about when they think about King Kong. It's him in the theater in the chains, you know, again, Dunham being an asshole and being like, hey, Anne, you know, you, you're you like famous for this adventure. So you got to come out on stage right next to that thing that like captured you for like, you know, a good day, you know, and, and, and like, maybe, you know, what, you, you know, what's funny is like at this point, we could have just gotten away in the movie with not even following any characters right, at this yeah. moment. Because like it's almost like even a little even more silly that Kong finds her again in the city. Yeah. And carries her up there. Like I always thought like I, I couldn't remember, like, is it just a random person that he grabs or like but then no, it is that he finds he finds her. So oh, by the way, before we go further, I do want to talk about the people as they're entering the theater <laughs> when like you know they're like like what is this? And it's like, like uh, Dunham has brought something back from his journey, and you know, it's like, and then the other guy's telling his wife, "You better enjoy this. I paid twenty dollars for these tickets." That was pretty good. I like that. Um, that was, and that then the good. woman in the theater who's like so upset that it's not a movie. Yeah, like, she's like, like the usher's like, "Man, he's got to sit down." Like, I'm not close enough to the 
the screen to see the movie. And it's like, ma'am, it's not a movie. Like, what do you mean it's not a movie? I am outraged. <laughs> um, but then they, yeah, Kong is in the chains. Then everybody's like, oh my God, it's Kong. Which again, I always think about like, if they're doing this in a theater, like, is this just it? Like, did these people, like, obviously I think like, yes, it's a big deal. And yes, they'll like travel around the country with this. But like, did they people, did he pay $20 for the ticket? Like what else was going to happen? Or are they going to bring out like chorus girls to dance in front of Kong? Like, like, I, I mean, I mean, well, Kong broke out, so I'm gonna I'm gonna file this under that they probably did not think it through. No, so yeah, so they do the whole thing with the flash bulbs and like Kong's like Kong thinks you're attacking her, and then he like gets out of there. Everybody runs out of the theater. Kong burst out, and I love like just again, just like Kong's escaped. He's coming down Twenty Second Street. Just like he climbs the window, he like reaches in for a woman finds out it's not Anne and just drops her to the ground, which yeah, I thought was that, like, that was crazy. That was, pretty um, cool. Oh, and then just again, just the classic weird old filmmaking where they bring, I love this too, where like they, you know, Jack brings Anne back to her hotel room. You have the whole moment where like Kong comes up, peeks through the window and then like a, a different arm comes through the other window. Oh, all that stuff was fun. Like it's, I, I it's thought great, all that, it's great those stuff. gags are good. And then I love also Jack like running to the hand and immediately getting knocked out. Like like he yeah. basically takes he takes a chair and tries to break it over Kong's hand and then immediately gets knocked out and he grabs Anne. Did you like a did you like a Godzilla parallel where it's him versus a, a train? Like uh, at one Honestly, point, the, this made me think of the Incredibles more than anything else. Like this is exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. this is exactly the scene out of the Incredibles, except like everybody dies because the train falls. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is interesting how they really do. Again, it, it's it's a fascinating to see the movie where they they really just do commit to him being a monster. Yes, really. It's really truly like he's just rampaging like throwing people out of windows. And, I think and- that's like a thing about this movie though. I, it really feels like a movie that doesn't have a, like, um, a, I get, this is going to sound so hokey, but a stance on like, like where it stands with everything going on. It really yeah. is just like, the, here's the, monster stuff. The most it is. It's like, you know, I think like you're supposed to see like Dunham as a little crazy for doing this, but also like it doesn't go deep enough into that to really. Yeah. Get... And then, and then it's then all because they... then it's also again, but we'll get to it. There's like the 1930s ending where there's no real wrap up to like the characters or anything. It's just basically like, you know, eventually Kong dies and that's the end of the movie. Um, and, then, and then Kong is kind of dopey, but also they go full fledged into him being a monster it's not the biggest problem with the movie. It's right. just something that's kind of interesting about watching it. I also love again, the- given the fact that like the other movies from here on out go out of their way to at least have the sense that Kong is like a tragic figure. Yes. Like they don't really, at yeah. least they don't, I don't think they succeed in, in playing that card here. No, they really don't. Uh, I do like the scene where they come up with the idea of, of bringing airplanes to him. I just love that there's like a simplicity of like they're at the police station. It's like we got to figure something out here. Like we can't like we can't reach them up at the Empire State Building. What about airplanes? Yes, like that's basically what that scene was. It's like I I, never- I, I had a riff track, uh, not a riff, uh, uh, um, a mystery science theater style joke where he's like, nobody's ever thought about airplanes. It's like, well, invent them. <laughs> <laughs> um, fun fact about the the airplanes is that the the two directors were two of the pilots. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, Cooper's reasoning was, we should be the ones to kill that son of a bitch. 
but then you get again this like the iconic shot of um you know kong on the top of the empire state building and the airplanes and him swatting at them you know him with Anne, which by the way i haven't mentioned this at all i love all the sort of like small like whenever there's that wide shot of Anne in kong's hand and mm. it's clearly like uh, also stop motion like not detailed. Those are and always so bizarre. They're always me. so funny because it's just like yeah. this non-detailed and this is kind of being ragdolled, but then you get the close-ups of her in the because end. They, like, because they don't move like a person. Like, they, they move like, uh... Yeah, like, like with like, yeah, kind of the, the Kermit flap. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's, um... Um, but yeah, uh, Kong swept so it away, gets shot down. Yeah, he shots down. One thing I did like about the shoot down though is like when he falls off of the building, like he he ragdoll bodies and the, like the, yeah, it's like a he like a big, hits a part of the building on the way a, down. It's a big wide shot where like he hits like two of like the floors essentially, or like two so, yeah, of, like, those are those are those little moments of like oh, that's like pretty bold and detailed to put that in there, and I like yeah. that like that they they did not do that, and then but. Is it just me or like the whole it was beauty killed the beast is this like a very it just played very strange like I thought like like I thought like uh like the curb your enthusiasm music was going to play <laughs> yeah after it like it, it's just funny again because like I just couldn't get a read on like how like what it what is like the angle like what is like the the, the feeling I'm supposed to get from this right I, I don't know maybe I sound curmudgeonly but mm -hmm. I, it, that was kind of like Again, when you go back to like the Jackson Kong, it's kind of clear how it's like played. It's kind of played as like this weird kind of like bittersweet, somber coda at the end of the film, mm -hmm. like where it's because kind of like this. Um, and again, they're saying it because it was only said in the in the in the other movie. But even Jack Black kind of like says it like with some disbelief. Like it, it, I I don't know. It, it kind of just there was more of a purpose to it i i, I felt no i mean it's just again powerful. it's just the style of the time again it's just sort of like it doesn't help that like the you know the, it's it's just again it's just like twas beauty killed the beast like it's like it is well, like he, so he it says is like that he says that and everybody around him's like oh <laughs> but it's also like it's played like a radio play it's played like a state it's like twas beauty killed the beast Tune in next week for more adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Like that's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, it, it is. Well, also, this is this is a radio plays picture. Yeah. So yeah, it is. Uh, I logo, also by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, RKO is a classic and uh, one of the classic uh, cinema, uh, cinema you know, old studio Hollywood. I also love about the scene where like he like like uh, Dunham like runs up and is like you know the police officer's like stop no one can come through here wait I'm Carl Dunham like I. I, I, oh like you it's you and then someone in the crowd's like carl dunham he's the thing he's the person that brought this thing here like it's just like they have to like reestablish that real quick yeah like, yeah yeah the crowd's looking on yeah it, it I, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can i say right now i love that discussion I, I i thought this was very interesting to talk about yeah and it just it really is like I, I it it is stand to say like again like its place in history it's like it's important to know but just watching this just makes me more excited to go through all the rest of these movies and to talk about this and to analyze this stuff like I'm very interested in seeing like kind of how the rest of these things like again I'm super excited to go back to Jackson's Kong down down the line later this year uh, and I'm excited to check out what that uh, that seventies uh, you know 
uh, Dino De Laurentiis version is and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, and it, it is all based off what this movie sets up. Like it, it's again, for everything we've talked about and there's still a lot to like discuss and debate about it, but everything we've talked about, like all those other movies exist because of what this movie set up. And it's like mm. undeniable of its iconicness. And again, it's, you're, you're exactly right. It's hard to kind of watch this as anything else other than kind of a historical piece mm, because that's yeah. what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a historical piece of film. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think I could put it any better myself. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest positive takeaway for me was just finally going back and watching it after realizing like how much of an influence it was on the, the future of the creature features in the U S and then, you know, going into Godzilla. So um yeah i mean that that was kind of like the most rewarding aspect of of it for me um just kind of going back in detail i mean i did not enjoy watching it because there i i didn't i i didn't think it was bad i, I want to make that clear but it, it it definitely i don't think i was as charmed by it as i have been with other films like this and i think that it is a movie that is a little bit in a strange way has distanced itself and has become simultaneously distanced itself as well as being a victim to its own like you know legacy as it were so take with that as you will yeah uh pretty much and it almost feels like this was the sh this is like the 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 stripped down version of this story and then peter jackson's kong is the too much version of this story mm -hmm. at times so it is it is, it is kind of funny that they that they do that but yeah I, I am looking forward to watching that jeff bridges one and other kong related movies for my money i, I you know skull island is still probably my favorite iteration of this yeah. story so I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be very curious to see where everything ranks for me at the end mm -hmm. of this i'll be very curious to see what my favorite version is um so uh just in terms of its release i mean uh the the big thing was it was a huge huge success um it had an initial opening in new york city on march 2nd 1933 simultaneously at Radio City Music Hall and the RKO Roxy Theater across the street. Um, uh, of course, the Radio City Music Hall came with a stage show called Jungle Rhythms, which, you know, again, of the times. Um, also of note, uh, as I was looking this up, ticket prices, uh, depending on your theater, were either 35 cents or 75 cents. Um, so, basically... That was the times um, it uh, over that initial four day period in New York alone. It made $90,000. Uh, it had a, a further worldwide premiere, the world premiere in Hollywood at the Chinese theater in March 23rd and ended up uh, grossing uh, just about $5 million for RKO, which was a very big deal at the time. Again, RKO was a, uh, was a studio that was on the verge of kind of being extinct and King Kong essentially single-handedly saved it. And RKO actually refused. Um, Paramount tried to snipe the film from them and offered about a million dollars up front because they thought that they had something in Kong and, and uh, RKO put its trust and uh, 
made about five million on that initial release and was a very successful re-release for them over the years. That basically any time the movie came out in theaters, there was a major re-release in 1938 and a really big one in 1952. Anytime the movie came back to theaters from RKO, it made big bucks for them and it still remained probably uh RKO's most notable film that they produced on their own on their own terms. Cool. Uh, and then that's like uh, the legacy is just, again, the special effects and, and just sort of its place in Hollywood history as being the sort of like beacon for blockbuster filmmaking. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, we talk about it, that the, there's the Godzilla influence, um, you know, that you can even kind of take influence from further American made monster films all the way up to stuff like Jurassic Park. Like a lot of that stuff, like still calls back to some of the stuff that was sort of set up in kong um and and still is something that's sort of just studied for its effects and 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 sort of the filmmaking process behind it all of which all of which are top notch yeah excellent hey Mm -hmm. that was a great amount of fun yep another one Uh, in the can so uh i want to put out a a question to our audience it's something that we've talked about but i do want to see what the audience sort of thinks and and you know our, our our fan base so the next movie on our timeline in terms of the Kong history is the 1933 sequel, the same year, Son of Kong. However, of course, March coming up is also the release of King Kong versus uh, Godzilla. And one of the things we've t- Will and I have discussed is uh, maybe moving up the Kong Skull Island episode to basically kind of get all the MonsterVerse films in our can in the lead up to uh, King Kong uh, or, or Kong versus Godzilla, whatever it wants. So uh, we'll discuss this more behind the scenes and we'll make a decision, but we would like to hear your input. Do you think that we should continue on the timeline and go to son of Kong or should we jump ahead and, and uh, get the Kong Scott Island in before our Kong versus Godzilla review jumps out. So just let us know what you think. Um, again, we'll, we'll make a decision sometime in the next month on what will be our actual next Kong episode. But our next episode of the podcast is not Kong related at all. We are going again back to Star Trek with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, another film I am very excited to talk about. I'm really enjoying this Bonzilla Presents era. I think it's really affording us some new looks at some of some of these franchises. And I'm very much looking forward to talking about Star Trek II. Sounds good. All right, plugs away. Bonzillapod at gmail.com, twitter.com says Bonzilla007, again, facebook.com says Bonzilla007. Uh, like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud again. Just want to reiterate, it means so much to me, you guys, that you are, are embracing this era of the podcast. I know I'm having fun. I think Will's having fun. Uh, and uh, I think there's more fun times ahead and more plans in my head that I really want to uh, see through. I agree. All right. <laughs> it's uh, late. Sorry. Like I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm is. winding down. It is, right. fun. It I, is fun. I'm enjoying it. And, uh, uh, I'm, I, I, I think we pick, I think you picked two good franchises that I, I definitely am uh, eager to watch more of the films in. So, all right. Uh, looking forward to that. And, uh, all right. I think that'll wrap it up. Uh, twas beauty killed the beast, I guess. <gasps> See you guys. <laughs>